Marcus Sahaba, the voice of Ahl Sunnah wal Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Respected listeners of Marcus Sahaba, the voice of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah We welcome you to the spiritual breakfast And it is our interview segment The date today is the 8th of Jumad al-Ula 1445 Corresponding to their Gregorian calendar the 22nd of November 2023 Our guest is Mr. Mike Bolhais who is a senior investigator in crimes Let's welcome Mr. Mike Bolhais Mr. Bolhais Good morning. How's it, everybody? Thank you for the opportunity. So this is called sextortion. So what usually happens is uh, somebody uh, uses his cell phone or his computer or tablet, uh, electronic or digital device, and opens up a pornography site or contacts a pornography site. So when I say pornography site, it could be any sexual site, any uh, site or uh, institution or business or organization that deals with sexual content, any of them. If you open them up or if you call them or contact them, if it's a brothel or um, um, a prostitute, any and all of them are linked to uh, what we call pimps. And these pimps are those who are the owners and in control of these sexual sites and people. And they will use the information that they receive from these uh, sites, uh, from you or the person, in order to extort you. In, in, in plain English, uh, once the communications or whatever actions has taken place, that content, that information will be uh, used by a pimp or by what we call SAPS impersonators, making as if they cops, uh, or corrupt cops are sometimes linked to this as well, or uh, syndicates or gangsters or whomever are involved with these sites or people that is dealing with sexual content, will then call the very person that was involved with them and say that if they do not pay, their information will be splattered and exposed on all social media platforms, usually Facebook or WhatsApp or even on the internet. So the danger is of sextortion is, is very easy to understand. Do not get involved. Do not open any sexual content site. Do not call prostitutes or any person that is involved in any way regarding uh, sexual services. They are all, all, not 99%, all linked with pimps. And the pimps are all in bed with corrupt cops, SAPS impersonators, gangs or syndicates. I would highly advise, there's about 10 projects on uh, my Facebook. Uh, once again, you guys can put all my details at the end. Read the projects. The projects will see. It's easy. You go in on my Facebook, you put in project, and then in sextortion or extortion or extreme extortion. And you will, it is horrific. Your hair will stand up after you've read it. How 
how very oiled this uh, cyber crime crimes are committed by these extortionists. Mr. Boles, we know the law when people are caught drinking and driving and the cops will deal with this case severely. But now you get the corrupt cops, as you've mentioned. And what happens when they are drunk and they are caught on the highways? Who takes them to task? Yes. Unfortunately, uh, we've had so many chats on your radio. The corruption in our authorities is, is enormous. So uh, it is a, uh, you know, nobody has a real answer here. I can try as closely again, uh, advise or tell you the situation. So first the situation, about 80%, if not more, of our authorities are corrupt. Now, corruption does not necessarily mean selling a docket. It also means if you don't do your work. In other words, you're not protecting and you're not serving the public. That is corruption. In other words, you are misrepresenting yourself. If I hire a person and he proclaims to be a painter, and I ask him with all his documentation, and he gives it, and I'm reasonably moved and said it's fine, you can paint the house. But I find out later, after investigation and seeing his work, that he's not a painter, he's actually a mechanic. He has been misrepresenting himself. And that's my biggest problem, and that's the biggest corruption in our country. Those who are in positions, in any position of authority, and they cannot, they just cannot do the work, don't want to do the work, aren't willing, able, capable, and ready to do the work. The other side is, what do you do with these corrupt corruption? You need to expose it as far as you can. Unfortunately, most of the public just flows with it. They pay the 100 rand next to the road to the corrupt cop, or they pay the, uh, the, the policeman off, or they bribe policemen or authorities. Not only policemen, anybody in authority. It could be at home affairs, it could be any, uh, any municipality uh, a servant. It, it's just everywhere. Um, people are not prepared to go through the very big, long-term rigmarole of complaining, opening cases, giving affidavits and statements, going through different levels, eventually to get uh, not necessarily the result, uh, and, and what should happen. Uh, in other words, punishment that fits the crime. And they have seen this. So they would rather quickly pay a couple of bucks and get things done. But unfortunately, this mindset and this behavior has put our country in this position where there is total and absolute corruption. And remember, crime begets crime. If a crime works, it will be committed by others as well, and others will follow. So my an, an unfortunate, harsh answer is you should not get involved in any form of corruption. It will always bite you eventually. You should expose it. And if there's severe situations, we can be contacted. The information can be given, given to us. We can expose it on projects. But it should be, uh, you should do the extra, walk the extra mile and find a policeman that at least would listen, take statements so that it's on the system and that there's the stits statistics available showing the enormous corruption that we have in our country.
Mr. Mike Polis, there are thousands of illegal guns roaming in the streets, and there are many plans. Are there any plans, in fact, to capture these? If so, what what is the plan? Look, the police is going out of their way. The few that is left that really wants to assist in uh, specific crimes uh, to deal with this, but they don't have the infrastructure. <clears throat> Here's the problem. There is about, say, let's say between 20 and 10% of policemen that really wants to protect and serve and make a difference. We yesterday worked with a police unit uh, very closely with them after we've identified that a woman, uh, actually a couple was kidnapped, kidnapped in order to mule. Now, muling means they load the customers, the two that they have kidnapped, they load them up with drugs. And they were on their way. The tickets were bought and everything was in place. They were about to be muled off to Sao Paulo actually today. Hmm. So yesterday what happened is I was called by uh, the boyfriend ran away. He fortunately realized and he got a gap and he ran away. But they still, the Nigerians still kept the woman and uh, they kept her in a guest house. And uh, after uh, we, uh, she, the, the fortunate thing is she had still she still had her phone because uh, these gangsters, these syndicates, are so tame that they just you know the word in the street it's in Sunnyside, Pretoria. There are hubs, certain hubs in South Africa that are very busy, busy with drug trafficking and muling, and this is one. They are so tame that they don't care who has what because they are extremely feared and that nobody would go against them. Their words would would be uh, in the street like, um, uh, listen, uh, we own the cops. We run the cops. We are in control. Nobody will go against us. So this woman called me out of holding and... Uh, after I've done a careful evaluation, all the necessary stuff through her phone, I decided, me and some other individual cops, that we're going to rather get the task force involved because much more evidence and much more uh, success can be arranged rather than I, me sending two of my uh, gorillas in and just removing her because I would have just sent in two extreme bodyguards, CPOs, specialist investigators, but also uh, very physical, strong uh, collectors to just collect her and remove her and take her to safety and then later deal with all the information and evidence. But I'm so glad it was one of the best decisions I've ever made because I once again saw that our South African task force is top-notch. Let me tell you, the moment we met with them, we immediately saw an absolute attitude of willingness, ready, able, capable, professionalism, like you can't believe. And within hours, they went in. Mm. And let me tell you, with these guys, you don't miss. I'm an extremely impressed. I'm, I'm sure if somebody pulled a gun, they would have been dead. Hmm. I'm surely if somebody stood in the way with fists, they would have been put on the ground. They were in and out and they removed and they were brilliant. And I would really beg all policemen to go out of their way to be like a task force member. Imagine that if all the policemen that we have really aims to be in that 
bracket where we speak of them in such high regard as being extremely professional, ready, willing, able, and capable to protect and serve, going out of their way, quick and easy, absolutely professionally done. Isn't that what all policemen should actually aim at? We wouldn't have crime. But anyway, the police are doing their utmost to deal with guns. And uh, the problem is there are so many guns stolen, and these are the guns we're talking about, and then there are many guns stolen from the police and their police uh, uh, stores like the SAP-13s. So there are so many stolen guns from authorities and from the public, and this is what's making this a very big problem. Remember, the criminals will uh, influence the guns in such a way that it's difficult to trace back to the real owner or where it comes from. So by the time the police does get some guns back, it is usually guns that cannot never be tracked and traced. And then there are illegal guns from previous uh, civil wars and small wars around our country that uh, infiltrates into South Africa as well. But if you and anybody out there know of any gun issues, they can contact us. This is a very serious crime, and we can immediately assist. A person has a licensed gun. Now, how can he use it effectively in the event someone attacks him or what would be considered a no-go zone area where he is not unable to use that gun? First of all, it is important to do the effort and read the gun laws. I would highly advise, I'll give some advice here, the main advice, but everybody should read. Put the Wilbur Smith down, put the TV off, and read our projects. It's all in there. Read the gun laws that you have uh, um, an absolute insight into it. Secondly, do not, if you own a gun, walk around with a gun and use the gun unless you have been properly trained. So number two is be properly trained. You, you know, they say once you've learned how to ride a bicycle, you will never unlearn it. But it's, it's not the same with a gun. You have to constantly be in a relationship with your gun. It must be like an extension of your hand. You cannot suddenly, just suddenly grab it and then uh, be over-adrenalized and excited and nervous and everything, and then it's, it hasn't got a one-up and, and, and it's on safety, and then you try and use it. By that time, the criminals are on you and have taken your gun. You need to be extremely, extremely familiar with your gun, like you and your wife. That's how it should be, or you and your husband. So any men and women out there who has guns, keep them. But go for proper training. Read the gun laws. Take your gun everywhere according to how the law prescribes it. Where, where, where is it allowed to be seen and where not? When do you have one up, one when not? And make sure that you know how, three, number three, how to use the gun when there's imminent danger. If me and you are standing at a spot and there's a third person coming and the next moment you could die due to a weapon that he has, a knife or a gun, and I have in a split second the ability to save your life and my life, you may use your gun. In imminent danger to save your or others' lives, you can use your gun. Fourthly, 
You must make sure that you always, when you in, in any way going to use a gun, always check the background, the surroundings. No, you should just shoot like a MacGyver or a Rambo, and then you shoot about uh, 10 or 15 people at the background or somebody crossing the street or driver-bys or children or animals or whatever. You need to be very, very sure that when you use the gun, that it, it hits that the criminal that it's intended to and only him. And that the criminals know this. That's why they do these big cash-in transit heists in the middle of daylight in front of everybody, because they know the police. You know, the police are many a time blamed and said, yeah, how, why do they not prevent? Uh, and how do they not deal with these cash-in transits and these gangsters? It's because the, the gangsters have, first of all, the absolute advantage of Number one, they are the only ones that know when the crime is going to be committed. By the time the police are, are informed by the public, they have to get through our traffic during load shedding to the scene. Now, just think for yourself. If I say to you guys now, come to me, I mean, come and visit me. What? Well, how, how long do you think it's going to take? <laughs> so... Even if you've got sirens blaring and and and, it might be a 15-minute difference. But by the time the, the authorities are at the scene, everything and all has been done, and these uh, uh, serious violent crime, uh, economic crime criminals, which goes hand in hand, they know this, and they know when the police comes there, they have got a background, and they've got many people behind them or people in different cars with them. Because what they do nowadays is they take the monies and they, the people that's surrounding there, they walk up to them and uh, threaten them with guns and get them out of their cars and let even one of them drive them out there. So it's escalating to a level where they absolutely use humans and background and everybody around a scene like that as part of their plan of uh, exiting and getting away with the money having hostages and, 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 and human buffets in their way all the time. So it's not that easy for police to solve uh, these crimes on the spot. Uh, the solving actually can only be done afterwards if you know where they are or if there's proper track and tracing or there's information or tip-offs, etc., etc. So we must understand that we cannot always blame the police for absolutely everything that goes down uh, badly. We need to take in consideration our South African infrastructure does not necessarily allow the police to get quickly on the scene. And also when they're on the scene, does not allow them to just take out guns and start blazing away. Mr. Boris, we know it's the end of the year now, so drunk drivers, more robberies and crimes are on the increase. Do the police work extra hard in combating this? Because they may say that, you know, we also need a break. So who then attends to all these crimes? Yeah, look, um, as I've said before, there are... Uh, there are those in the police that really, really wants to make the difference. This is going to add on to what I previously said, just a bit more of an explanation. But if you do not have the infrastructure, you can be a boss, you can be a station boss, uh, you can be an, an officer of a unit, and you can 
have the brightest ideas and you want to execute the, the, the best of the best in safety and security for the public in South Africa. But the infrastructure does not necessarily allow that. In other words, you don't have properly trained policemen available or there's not enough vehicles or there's not enough um, cyber uh, assistance or digital or electronic communication uh, elements in place, etc., etc. We hear constantly some policemen don't have guns, uh, some guns were stolen, some policemen don't have cell phones, some of their cell phones were stolen, and some of them don't have cars, some of those cars are stolen. And the infrastructure just many a times comes up as um, uh, very little that the police have available in order for them to do their work. The biggest problem is untrained policemen. Most qualified policemen has left the uh, the police force in the last years, and the police are left with those who are in the police, and I've earlier explained that, uh, actually being corrupt by being in the job but not being able to do the work. So they're just getting their pay, their medical, their pension, et cetera, et cetera, all the benefits, but they actually really don't protect and serve and can make a difference. Many of them are overweight. Many of them are extremely emotional. They get very uh, frustrated and angry and agitated and have an attitude uh, of, uh, I actually don't want to be with you or uh, assist you or uh, just have attitudes. Many of them are unprofessional. Many of them, as I've said, don't have infrastructure to actually do the work, and that in itself put them back on extreme frustration and anger, etc., etc. So uh, they are appointing extra policemen uh, always to deal with, and they will mostly, uh, with the metro polices or the traffic police officers, will obviously safeguard the roads, uh, they know by now which is the most traveled roads and what times and dates will be uh, the hotspots everywhere around the country. And yes, that does make a difference because it is uh, deterring. People know of it and they'll be careful. They'll, they'll, they'll try not to drink and drive, but you'll get those that would. And you will have, you have issues of road anger. These things happen. Many, many of people die in car accidents. Many. And um, in a way, it seems like the penny has not really dropped um, in, in, the, in, in, the, in the heads of the public of South Africa that they can be one of them. So rather take the extra care and not be uh, a statistic of somebody that has died in a, in, a, in a car accident on way or back from holiday. So drive slowly. Uh, don't drive fast. Uh, rather take a 20 kilos off, don't do the 140 or 160, drive 100 or 80 even if necessary, uh, if you've got a big vehicle. But uh, rather come later and safe uh, at your destination and um, don't drink and drive, obviously. And uh, make sure you're well rested, make sure your vehicle is extremely well prepared for the road, uh, make sure you've checked your tires, the weight of your tires, Pump it the correct weight. It's very, very important. Make sure that your car has been serviced thoroughly. Uh, the elect electrics have been checked. If you're driving at night, prefer not to drive at night. When you're tired, pull over, sleep. We'll send out a project. There are many projects that we've already sent out yearly. What you can read. Make sure the fishes have food, the dogs have food. 
Make sure your safety and security issues at your home has been attended to. Make sure that you keep it quiet and confidential and don't necessarily splatter all over the place what you're going to do because if the criminals get your phone or hack your information, then they know that you're not there and what they can take at your house or where you are and what they can take there. So be very careful of social media, but make sure that your normal security, your local police, those who you trust, knows that the house is going to be empty or if somebody is going to look after it. But I can tell you now, during December, the most calls we get is people saying that the house has been completely emptied. Hmm. And the most calls we get in January is uh, of people that came back and say this or that or the other has been stolen. So the main aim is to obviously make sure that your holiday is thoroughly, thoroughly planned. This should be like an expedition. You should take extra care, but whatever you leave behind, make sure it's not valuable and make sure it's properly locked away and not easily accessible or moved. Because uh, if you just leave anything as it is, the possibility of your house being robbed. And remember, the criminals knows this. They don't know it now because I've said it over the radio. They know this for years. And they get the information from communities and workers and informants and from your communications and social media. So social media is, is a very big no-no. Be very, very careful. Thanks, Mr. Bollis. I just have one more question before we leave you. Uh, on the roads, a person is driving, and we know they are throwing rocks, especially at nights, and that is a good solution to, to, to try not to travel at nights. But, however, if a person is and is inflicted with the situation, how can he protect himself? Is, if the rock has already reached the windscreen, what does he do next? The first thing you do and everybody must listen carefully. When you drive, you must be positively paranoid. Expect that bad things can happen. You cannot live in South Africa anymore unless you are extremely wake up. You need to be positively paranoid. That's why I've mentioned all these other things. Don't drink and drive. Don't drive when you're tired. Be aware, be awake. Also make sure that there's no distractions in the cars. You can have your kids sit at the back, but they must not distract you. And the same with your wife or whoever drives. Make sure there's no distractions. You need to be aware and wake up. And especially if you drive at night. And I advise not, because most of these attacks happen at night. But if it happens, whether it's day or night, you do not stop. Whatever it takes, even if you're if you're driving on the ramps, you keep on driving. You get distance between you and the criminals. Because those who commit these crimes are under the impression that if they do this, you would stop there immediately and check what's going on. So don't. If there's a rock through your window, kick the window out or what do, or look out the other way or outside the door. But keep on driving. Prepare your family. Say to your family, if daddy drives and this happens, just bend over completely with your, your head between your knees and just lie flat. Daddy's going to keep on driving. Don't worry, we're going to get away from the scene. It's no use you don't tell them. 
Tell the kids, let them read the project and explain it to them that they understand that when the rock goes through the window, you don't sit with a child that is so frightened that jumps out of the window. Hmm. So make sure that the kids knows what's going on and that they are secure at the back and if necessary, even a blanket or something that they can just throw over themselves in case glass or anything else uh, or further rocks uh, hits the vehicle. If it's spiking, I don't care what it is. Keep on driving as far as you can and then once you are far away you assess the situation in the meantime whilst driving uh, call the necessary uh, uh, authority numbers in the area you will in any area in every area you will see numbers that are on placards or on sign boards that you can call and that's what i say about planning when you go on holiday if you're going to take a specific trip to Durban or to Cape Town or wherever, make sure that you know the cities you're going through and what is the emergency numbers and the authorities' numbers. And always have a friend and a family member and maybe a security officer you know or a policeman that you know or somebody else, at least five people that you can send a WhatsApp immediately to uh, it, through to them saying, listen, we've been attacked. Uh, but we are moving away from the scene. Please assist us, help us inform all authorities. That will definitely help. Once you are away from the scene, you assess the situation, see that everybody and anybody is safe, make sure that you check because they might come afterwards, uh, not necessarily with vehicles, but by foot. So stay and move away as far as possible to the safest spot. And then, uh, obviously, during that time, call for help. Thanks, Mr. Bollings, for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, if we, I hope we speak again before December or in December. I just want to wish all our listeners and everybody else and you guys, may God bless you guys richly with health, wealth, safety, prosperity, insight, might, and wisdom, and may He be gracious and merciful upon us all, and may we all be able to hear and see each other soon and regularly. Thanks. We will have an interview soon before that. Um, go well. Okay, bye. Marcus Sahaba, the voice of Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah.